focus on headline. All right, let's take a look at what major issues are making the headlines today on Focus on Headline. For this, joining us in the studio today, we have our reporters in Cha Yoon-kyung and Lee Ji-young. Guys, welcome back. Good evening. Good evening to you guys as well. We're going to start things off with the top story. Really uh, shocking revelations coming in. There was a um, report of a recent leak of uh, secret Pentagon documents showing that the U.S. was spying on one of its major allies, this, of course, being South Korea. Uh, we have always talked about this ironclad alliance. We've talked about trust amongst us. This is certainly a huge, huge uh, report coming out. And uh, the document does reveal that South Korea is caught in a tricky situation here, feeling some pressure from Washington to help supply ammunition to Ukraine. As we know, South Korea has been very firm in not supplying any lethal weapons to Ukraine during the one-plus years of this war there. ji uh, you're going to start us off. What's the latest on this? Sure. Now, according to the New York Times, the leaked documents show that South Korea was caught between a rock and a hard place when it comes to its stance on providing lethal aid uh, to Ukraine. On the other hand, South Korea didn't want to violate their policy against supplying lethal aid, but on the other hand, uh, they didn't want to hurt their relationships with the United States. President Yoon Suk-yeol's officials were especially worried that if they changed their stance on providing lethal aid, the South Korean public would think it was a trade-off for his state visit uh, to his upcoming state visit to Washington D.C. So instead of providing lethal aid directly to Ukraine, National Security Advisor Kim Jong-han suggested that South Korea uh, could sell uh, artillery shells to Poland, who could then send the ammunition on to Ukraine. Now, it's unclear if South Korea agreed to this proposal, but it is interesting nonetheless. Now, the senior South Korean official decla- declined to reveal details of their quote-unquote internal discussions, so we don't know for sure what uh, they were what they were thinking or what their plans were. Um, however, South Korea has been shipping humanitarian aid to Ukraine. So it's clear that they're trying to help in some kind of way. Now, it's possible that South Korea might consider changing their policy on providing lethal aid, but they would need to verify what Poland would do since they have export control rules that require their approval for any reselling or transferring of their weapons or weapon parts. Now, it's certainly a delicate situation, and it remains to be seen how it will affect the relationship between South Korea and the U.S. So it's kind of a sticky situation. Yeah, the quote-unquote solution that you talked about here, possibly sending the uh, the selling the artillery shells to Poland and then Poland then sending that over to Ukraine. Mm-hmm. This was something that was mentioned before because uh, reports have come out that, uh, for example, Canada was purchasing some uh, ammunitions. Uh, there were reports that Poland was also purchasing some of these ammunitions as well. And what they were doing, consequently, was sending that over to Ukraine. Now, they were saying, look, listen, the way of the sales goes is if you sell it to one person, it doesn't matter what they do with it. It was going to Canada. It was going to Poland. It was not our role was not uh, sending this over to Ukraine. Now, obviously, mm-hmm. there's a loophole with this. And we knew that uh, Russia was going to say something in regards to this because they knew that this was a loophole. I mean, South Korea could sell it to any country, whether it be the United States, uh, Canada, Poland, uh, France, whatever it may be. And then they could subsequently send it over to uh, Ukraine and it would be indirectly uh, supplying mm-hmm. lethal aid. 
But right. nevertheless, the eavesdropping incident is a big one. Did the South Korean government take any sort of action on the uh, leak of secret documents? Sure. Now, the U- New York Times article states that the South Korean officials were aware of the news reports about the leaked documents and planned to discuss uh, issues raised by the leak with Washington. Now, the South Korean officials are also considering whether to lodge a protest or demand an explanation from Washington. But actually, the Yongsan presidential office has to decline to reveal any details. Now, uh, what's interesting is that Yang Wook, who is a research fellow at the Astan, Asan Institute for Policy Studies, uh, recently commented on the leaked document saying that regardless of the content, uh, the fact that the surveillance was conducted is damaging revelation. And he also noted that it's responsible to suspect that the United States spies on top uh, spies on top defense and security officials in Seoul, but it's bad news for the general public ahead of the South Korea-U.S. summit. Uh, Yang went on to say that this could harm the relationship between the two countries and that it is understandable for the South Korean public to be concerned. He even suggested that the public may question, uh, we've been allies for 70 years. Are you still spying on us? Yeah, and one of the things that uh, was being mentioned during the Biden administration was that, uh, you know, when President Mm. Trump had the whole Make America Great Again slogan, Mm. uh, you know, Biden's slogan was uh, America first. So a lot of what he's doing with even the the Inflation Reduction Act, the CHIPS Act, uh, and so forth, and this uh, sort of, uh, you know, everything that's being done, it seems to be centered on America. On the flip side, what it is also doing, it's straying away from the allies. And I think there was a limit to how much South Korea would kind of bear, for example, the Inflation Reduction Act, CHIPS Act. All of these are something that they're going, all right, you know, we're not happy with this, but it's not going to ruin our relationship with the United States since we have this long 70-year alliance uh, with the United States. But eavesdropping is uh, sort of on a whole different level here. But we're going to get more on this. Again, the significance of this is the fact that we've known that the U.S., they do spy on I guess uh, their their enemies or their foes, uh, whether it be uh, China or uh, Russia or even North Korea. But I mean, allies, this is a shocker here. Uh, U.S. officials are fearing that the revelations could jeopardize sensitive sources, again, because the recent report was based on the Ukraine-Russia war. Yunga, you're going to give us a deeper look into the details of this. Yes, SJ. Earlier on the 6th and 7th local time, documents containing U.S. and North Atlantic Treaty Organization's plans to expand and supply weapons to Ukraine and U.S. military secrets to China and the Middle East were spread on the game chat platform Discord and the U.S. far-right online bulletin board 4chan. Uh, Some documents have been posted for a month, but the U.S. authorities only noticed it after the documents were exposed on Twitter and Telegram. A total of 100 pages of documents were estimated to have been compiled by the U.S. Joint Chiefs of Staff, including reports from government intelligence agencies such as U.S. National Security Agency, the CIA, and the U.S. Department of State Bureau of Intelligence and Research. A senior U.S. official told CNN that most of the leaked documents do not appear to have been forged. The the document showed that the timeline and specific goals of the Russian attack were delivered to U.S. intelligence agencies in real time every day, indicating how deeply U.S. intelligence authorities have 
penetrated Russia's internal intelligence network. In addition, it was revealed that the U.S. is grasping Russia's war plan and its ability to carry out war through wiretapping. In the meantime, the document revealed that the U.S. was not monitoring not only Russia, but also Ukraine's top military and political leaders. It also contained details of the Ukraine military's spring counterattack plan, which details the time when weapons will arrive and which unit they will be deployed. And this can be very useful information for the Russian military. So some pointed out that the leak of the document could cause substantial damage to the Ukrainian war as Russian military and security information was exposed. Russia is likely to strengthen security and block the flow of the inf information in the future by identifying the source from which information was leaked. Yeah, I mean, again... Like the platform in which the information was leaked initially. I mean, Discord. I don't know if you guys have played games and stuff like that. Like, this is not even something that I'm part of, but I've heard of Discord. And then 4chan is like one of the worst group of people that you could ever meet, right? A bunch of uh, there's weird people in that. And it was leaked there first, but. Was mm -hmm. there any other information that was revealed? I mean, what are some of the responses also from the U.S. government and also re uh, relevant authorities? Yes, SJ. In addition to South Korea, the U.S. also intercepted major allies such as Israel and Britain. Uh, the U.S. authorities are trying to determine the root of the leak. And citing multiple U.S. officials, Reuters reported that there is a high possibility that there are Russian or pro-Russian forces behind the scenes who want to damage Ukraine, the U.S. and NATO. Uh, the Ukrainian government issued a statement saying, quote, we're discussing ways to prevent the leakage of information related to the Ukrainian militaries. That's right. Uh, I believe this is not the first time that uh, some of the uh, the U.S. allies uh, were targeted uh, before. What was it? Uh, there was the, the Israeli. Oh, no, this was Israel before with the, uh, the Pegasus mm -hmm, mm -hmm. spyware. Uh, but nevertheless... In the recent development, uh, the U.S. De uh, Department of Defense has released a statement acknowledging the leaked documents and is currently evaluating the potential impacts they could have on a uh, national security and the uh, country's allies and partners as well. Chiang, you're going to have more on this. Sure. Now, according to Reuters, the Pentagon released a statement on Sunday, April 9th, saying that they are working with related departments to evaluate the potential impact of the leaked documents uh, that have been circular, circulating on social media. Now, the statement noted that the documents appear to contain sensitive and classified information, and they will continue to review and assess their uh, validity. Now, it's unclear at this point what exactly the documents contain, but their potential impact is certainly a concern for the uh, Department of Defense uh, and the U.S. government as a whole. Now, the documents have not been fully evaluated or verified, and it is unclear who may have been responsible for the leak. However, the fact that they have sensitive and classified information is certainly a cause for alarm. Uh, we got a message in from Nian T who says, I wonder, will U.S. actually respond and apologize to uh, South Korea if they request an explanation? I wonder about U.S. first policy in the global economy. I don't think so far right now the U.S.'s concern is whether or not they have to apologize to South Korea mm -hmm. right now. Their big concern is, oh my goodness, how much of this information has it been leaked and how right, is this going right. to impact uh, the Ukraine war right now? And you're right. Uh, there's a lot of people outside of the United States that are sort of questioning this 
America first policy uh, in the global economy, like Nian uh, Ti says, because it's America first and the Americas have also, the U.S. has always seen that everything is connected. We need to stick together, but there is more rift uh, than anything right now. So it is an interesting comment coming in from one of our listeners out there. Now, what is also notable is that, remember, this is all coming ahead of the big trip uh, by President Yoon Sagyar to uh, the United States, right? This is just the second state visit we're looking at under the Biden administration, the first being under Macron, and now second being President Yoon. Now, of course, the presidential office uh, very puzzled with the allegations of the wiretapping by the United States. Big questions as to how this is even going to impact maybe the uh, state visit to the United States, how might it might even impact the relations between South Korea and uh, the United States as well. But it does seem like it's taken the position to look at countermeasures by reviewing cases of different countries from the past, uh, while at the same time trying to cement the Korea-U.S. alliance. Yoon let's get more on this. That's right, SJ. Uh, since President Yoon Suk-yeol's state visit to the U.S. is just two weeks ago, two weeks away, the president's office is paying attention to the alleged wiretapping in a cautious manner. First of all, on the 9th, when suspicions were reported, they discussed countermeasures at a meeting presided over by Cho Tae-yong, the new head of the National Security Office, and President Yoon also gave orders to take a close look after receiving related reports. Well, so far, the official announcement of the president's office is that it will hold necessary consultations with the U.S. on the relevant issues and that it will review past precedents and cases of other countries to take a look at countermeasures. The government is taking a position that it will need to communicate with the U.S. first. However, there is a clear perception that this issue is not serious enough to shake the Korea-U.S. alliance. Several senior presidential officials told YTN that they could take some diplomatic measures, but that they would not be strong enough to damage national interests. It's unpleasant to sneak a peek at the alliance, but they also mentioned that the government's intelligence activities are normal and universal. However, this issue is known to have been through signal information, which is wiretapping. So the public opinion is aroused to call for an active response, given that it targets former security chief Kim Sung-han, who was once the head of Korea's diplomatic and security headquarters, and that the location of information collection is in Korea, not in the U.S. And today, the presidential officials office said, quote, we plan to ask the U.S. to take appropriate measures if necessary, when the situational understanding of the two countries is completed. An official from the presidential office said in a briefing at the presidential office in Yongsan later in the day, this process will be based on the trust relationship formed between the Republic of Korea and U.S. alliance. Regarding the incident, the president's office said what is reported in the U.S. media now is not a confirmed fact, adding the U.S. Department of Defense has also requested an investigation from the U.S. Department of Defense. So the most important thing is to find out the facts, he said. Again, I mean, considering the fact that, I mean, the U.N. administration has been very keen on building this relationship with the United States, uh, it mm -hmm. is going to be highly unlikely that this incident is going to affect their upcoming state visit, right? I mean, it's not like right. they're going to go, well, really, really upset. Hey, I thought we guys, we were buddies and we had this, you know, tight relationship and we have this 70-year uh, alliance meeting going on and you guys are eavesdropping us. How dare you? We're not going to go to United. It's not going to happen, right? right? And also, 
But at, on the flip side, I mean, we sort of need to kind of, you know, ha- respond a little bit stronger, I think. Uh, we can't be, South Korea can't be a pushover in regards to this. And again, I mean, the United States hasn't apologized. They're kind of making it look like, I mean, this is an obvious thing. I mean, we're, we kind of do this to everybody. And uh, look, uh, the most important thing is how much of the other information was leaked and uh, South Korea is secondary. So... Again, uh, we'll see over the next few days, and it is uh, very unfortunate that it it, it happened uh, just a few weeks uh, before this state visit by uh, President Yoon to the United States. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and even uh, if it doesn't uh, affect the the upcoming uh, South Korea-U.S. summit in Washington, um, as the New York Times stated, there's also a public sentiment that South Koreans think. And um, even though this wouldn't hinder uh, the, the two presidents meeting, it will hinder some of it will leave a bad taste in South Koreans' mouth right. at this moment. And we do have elections next year, and we do, and there's a lot of people who are thinking at this time, and they're boiling up. And we and a lot of people like myself still believe that we can still have a strong alliance without also being a without being a pushover. Right. So there's always other options that we can take. And at least stating that this is wrong or stating that Koreans are not feeling uh, well, okay about this is something that the government should think about as well in their upcoming visit. Yeah, so when we talk about uh, building alliance, um, I don't know if people like the whole terminology, you know, give and take, you know, if there's going to be giving, there's some Mm -hmm. that we need to take as Mm -hmm. well. I mean, that's part of having this alliance, right? And so, you you make a very good point. I think the New York Times also makes a very good point in that we saw in recent cases, even with there was a public sentiment that with the South Korea-Japan summit, there was a lot of whole lot of giving to Japan, not a whole lot of coming back towards the South Koreans. There was no reciprocating measures or kind of moves from Japan. And then if you see this again, where uh, with the United States, where Mm -hmm. it's clearly eavesdropping, wiretapping on the South Korean presidential office Mm -hmm. is something that's a big Mm -hmm. no-no, even among some of the closest uh, alliance uh, countries. If the public sees that, well, the current administration is going to overlook this and say it's not a big deal or not really not a big deal. But you know what? I'm sure they had a good reason for this and we'll continue to talk with the United States and nothing happens out of that. They're going to say we're becoming pushovers again. They're not getting anything back. I think there's a lot of people already upset about the IRA. There are a lot of people upset with the CHIPS Act. There's a lot of people upset with this whole uh, the, the geopolitical, the, the lack of discussions with uh, North Korea and so forth. And so you're right. It, it might impact the approval rating of uh, the UN administration and also ultimately lead to the general elections next year. Good point there. Um, Let's talk North Korea because I don't know how much of a concern this is going to be moving forward. Uh, But South Korea and North Korea, they they usually conduct these regular calls to their inter-Korean liaison office and the military hotlines. And this is sort of to uh, avoid any kind of uh, miscommunication that might lead to uh, military tensions or mm-hmm. conflicts and so forth. And it's not like they have like these hour-long uh, discussions over the phone. It's literally like, hey, are you there? Yes, or there. Is this going through? Yes. All right, goodbye. Uh, very short there. But North Korea has been res- unresponsive for now the fourth consecutive day. Chiang, let's get the latest on this. Sure. Now, according to reports from the South Korean Ministry of Defense and the Unification Ministry, uh, the North has not responded to the routine calls via the Inter-Korean Liaison Office and military hotlines, even on the morning of April 10th, which is this morning. Now, the two countries usually communicate twice a day uh, through the Joint Liaison Office and military hotlines at 
at 9 a.m. and 5 p.m. However, North Korea has not responded to any attempts at communication since April 7th, leaving the South Korean government concerned. Now, this is not the first time communication has been cut off between the two Koreas. In fact, it's been over since six months since they last communicated on October 4th of last year. Now, the Unification Ministry has expressed concerns over North Korea's one-way blockage and is currently considering countermeasures. And it's unclear why North Korea has not responded to the calls, but there are several possible reasons. One possibility is that there could be technical difficulties difficulties or issues with the communication lines. However, given the extended period of non-response, there are concerns that it could be a deliberate act of refusal from the North side. Now, North Korea has been known to cut off communication in the past as a form of protest Mm. or retaliation. Now, it's worth noting that tensions between North and South Korea have been rising in recent weeks, especially following joint military exercises between South Korea and the U.S., as well as the recent release of a report on human rights abuses in North Korea. North Korea. Now, the Unification Ministry has stated that it is currently monitoring the situation and is considering appropriate countermeasures. However, it is unclear what specific actions they might take at this point. Right, that's right. And uh, like you said, it has happened in the past before, but previously, I think when Things were a little bit rosier when it comes to relations mm-hmm. with South Korea and North Korea. There was some sort of other communication methods where, like, listen, I mean, we got to chill out here and, uh, you know, open the communications uh, lines open again. But there's so many different um, kind of uh, analysis coming in right now. There, Like you said, there it might be just a form of protest, as we've seen so far. Now, there's also some people saying that, well, is this maybe signs that North Korea is about to conduct their seventh nuclear test? And this mm-hmm. is maybe preliminary signs of this. We can't tell. And again, we always say this, North Korea is very predictable and unpredictable at the same time. We'll take a closer look on this. Uh, certainly a lot of tensions on the Asia-Pacific region. We're going to focus our attention over to Taiwan right now. Uh, we've talked about last week uh, the trip by President Tsai Ing-wen over to the United States. Uh, she met with the U.S. House Speaker Kevin McCarthy. Uh, a little bit different from last year's meeting, right, when Nancy Pelosi went to Taiwan. Mm-hmm. I mean, this was something that was heavily criticized right. uh, by China. There was a military uh, response to that as well. Mm-hmm. Just a day after President Tsai Ing-wen arrived in Taiwan, returning from her trip, we have China demonstrating its armed forces with 70 military aircrafts, 11 military ships as well. This near Taiwan. Yunggyang, you have more details on this. Yes, SJ. So on the 9th, the second day of the military drills in Taiwan, China deployed a large number of military aircraft and warships to the Taiwan Strait to stage an armed demonstration. According to Reuters, uh, Taiwan's defense ministry said it had detected 70 military aircraft and 11 warships, including Su-30 fighters and H-6 bombers from the Chinese People's Liberation Army, around Taiwan as of 5 p.m. on the same day. 
The Taiwanese military said it is closely monitoring and grasping related movements and responding in an appropriate way with various missile systems. Taiwan's defense ministry stressed that it remains on high alert, including monitoring the activities of Chinese rocket forces, considering that China poured missiles into eastern Taiwan after U.S. House Speaker Nancy Pelosi's visit to Taiwan, uh, what you just talked about in August last year. A Taiwan's defense ministry said earlier that it had detected 71 military aircraft and nine warships belonging to the Chinese People's Liberation Army around Taiwan for 24 hours from 6 a.m. on the 8th, which was the first day of China's military training. The scale of the Chinese military's armed demonstration is the same as that tallied by Taiwan's Ministry of National Defense until 4 p.m. the previous day, and no additional armed demonstrations appear to have taken place at night. In response to a meeting between Taiwanese President Tsai Ing-wen and U.S. House of Representatives Speaker Kevin McCarthy, China began an intense armed protest in the form of surrounding Taiwan in all directions for a three-day visit from the 8th to the 10th. Yeah, and you have to uh, take into consideration that these were live ammunition drills, and the drills were basically targeting Taiwan. It's uh, basically pretending that, well, we have these targets in Taiwan, and we're going to shoot them down, and we're going to hit this places. So it almost looks like an invasion tactic, uh, if you look on the outside, which is why it's so concerning. And despite this, right, even before this trip by um, President Tsai, uh, the U.S. State Department kind of came out and said, listen, China, you, you need to s- not overreact. This is just a mm-hmm. simple uh, trip and there's right. no political intentions whatsoever. But I mean, considering the situation right now, China is certainly not mm-hmm. going to think that way. Mm-hmm. And of course, in regards to this, you now have U.S. House Foreign Affairs Committee Chair uh, Michael McCall, uh, who expressed his opinion that if tensions were to continue to escalate there, uh, deployment of U.S. troops to Taiwan could actually become a reality. Now, remember, when President Joe Biden mentioned this, this was almost a call for war, right? Mm -hmm. China thought of it. It's one thing that Michael McCall says this. Uh, It's another thing that Joe Biden comes out and says, if there is China invading Taiwan, we're going to start sending troops as well. But Mm -hmm. looks like it is the same sort of opinion shared by uh, McCall here. Chiang, How did these heavy wars even come about in the first place with him, though? Yeah. Now, in an interview with Fox News on the 8th, uh, McCall actually stated that if communist China attacks Taiwan, the issue of deploying U.S. troops to Taiwan will definitely be be put on the table and discussions will take place in Congress with the American people. Now, he also said that if the American people support this deployment, then Congress will follow suit. Now, McCall also highlighted that key considerations will include whether the United States should prepare for the deployment of its troops to Taiwan and whether Taiwan is worth defending. Now, during his visit to Taiwan from the 6th to the 8th, uh, McCall met with Taiwan uh, President uh, Tsai Ing-wen and visited the Taiwanese legislator, and he pledged to make every effort at the legislative level to ensure the swift delivery of weapons and increased military training support to Taiwan, stating that the U.S. weapon sales to Taiwan must continue. Now, in a separate interview with NBC, uh, McCall emphasized that Taiwan's defense capability is not up to the level they need and that the U.S. needs to provide coercion to Chinese leader Xi Jinping to 
think twice about the issue of invading Taiwan. And he also pointed out that these weapons will provide the necessary deterrence against China. Now, currently, there are only 39 U.S. troops and some Defense Department officials stationed in Taiwan. So it's likely to see that this number might bulk up in the future. Now, since Taiwan's president took office in May 2016, the Chinese Communist Party leadership has severed official relations with Taiwan and exerted strong military and diplomatic pressure on the island, which has been a concern for the United States, as Taiwan is a key ally in the region as well. It's kind of interesting because uh, the U.S. has sort of uh, respected China's so-called one-China policy, right? right? And then despite this, there's kind of going against the whole idea of one-China policy. And the other consensus is right now is I think Maybe last year or early last year, there were already talks about uh, potentially China invading Taiwan. And I think, again, don't quote me on this. A lot of experts were saying that uh, there might have been some plans from China to do that, but they were kind of looking at uh, Russia, right? Russia kind of went in on uh, Ukraine first and they're like, well, we can't do the same thing with Ukraine, with with, uh, with Taiwan mm-hmm. when all of this is happening with Ukraine. And then we're seeing that Russia's plan to sort of take go in and out very quickly in the next few months didn't didn't pan out so well Mm -hmm. and then you had all the allies kind of forming together to back up ukraine uh china is going to be a lot more hesitant i think Mm -hmm. uh in potentially uh, invading uh uh uh, taiwan especially when the united states is coming out that this is going to be different with ukraine we're going to actually go in Mm -hmm. uh taiwan so but uh this is the last thing that we want right now again i mean if there's involvements like this this is literally what world wars that's how world wars Mm -hmm. are started in the first place Mm -hmm. uh let's shift our focus to now some national level uh, national issues here starting today the electoral system uh, like the district magnitude and the proportional system this is going to be discussed in the whole house committee for I believe the next four days. Uh, Yunggyang, you have more on this. Yes, SJ, the National Assembly's whole House committee will be held for four days from the 10th to discuss the electoral system reform plan for next year's general elections. Whole House Committee is literally a discussion body in which all lawmakers participate. Uh, The ruling and opposition parties plan to reach an agreement on reforming the electoral system through four intensive discussions from this day to the 13th. And there are a total of 100 lawmakers participating in the debate, with 54 members of the Democratic Party of Korea, 38 members of the People Power Party, and 8 members of non-negotiation group. The number of debaters by parties based on the proportion of seats. And they will hold discussions focusing on a resolution prepared by the National Assembly Committee's political reform. Now, uh, can you tell us uh, what are some of the proposals of the resolution and uh, what would be the core issue during the discussions? Well, there are three proposals of the resolution. The first is urban and rural complex district magnitude system and regional and parallel proportional representation system. And the second is single member electorate system and semi-linked uh, proportional representation system by region. And the third is the open list electoral district system and national and parallel proportional representation system. And the core of the discussion is expected to be whether to introduce a district magnitude and expand the proportional representation system. The first runner for the first round of the debate, which begins at 2 p.m. on the same day, was Yoon Ho-jung of the Democratic Party of Korea. 
and Choi Hyung-do of People Power Party will take over the baton. Uh, it is the first time in 20 years that the committees of the whole House has been held since the 2003 debate on the agreement to extend the dispatch of the Iraq war. Now, moving on here, they move to ease the financial burden on parents and uh, really expand child care options. Uh, the South Korean government announced plans to increase subsidies for preschool education. Uh, will this also maybe lead to an increase in childbirth rate? Who knows? Uh, ji let's talk more about this latest plan. Sure. Now, starting next year in 2024, subsidies will be extended to cover children as young as five years old, with plans to gradually lower the age limit to four and three in 2015 and 2026, respectively. Now, to support working parents, the government also plans to expand the availability of after-school programs and ensure that that all children can attend them by 2025. Now, to do so, it will increase funding for after-school programs and hire additional staff. Now, the government also plans to consolidate small-sized kindergartens and preschools, which have struggled to maintain quality education uh, due to a declining student population. And the consolidation will improve the quality of education and help solve issues related to meals, transportation and other services. Now, the government will also consider changes to the start time of the school day, with some kindergartens beginning classes at 8 a.m. instead of 9 a.m. to better accommodate parents' schedules. Now, to cater to parents' needs for more diverse care services, the Ministry of Education plans to introduce a flexible education system that allows kindergartens uh, to design their own curriculum, teaching methods, and also hours. Now, this will provide tailored education for children that meets their specific needs. Now, South Korean Deputy Prime Minister and Education Minister Lee Ju-ho said that he hopes that the third basic plan for early childhood education can provide, provide better support for children and parents alike. Finally, moving on to other issues here, the prospects of a decrease in tax revenue for the first time in four years is being mentioned. Uh, oil tax cuts are likely to be phased out to normalize things during the first half of the year as well. Yoon kyung let's get more on this. That's right, SJ. As this year's national tax revenue is expected to be lower than last year's settlement as well as the original budget, whether the government will speed up the normalization of temporary tax support measures is getting attention. Normalization is urgent to support insufficient tax revenues, but it is a burden that opposition is expected following the end of the support. A Deputy Prime Minister and Minister of Economy and Finance, Chu Kyung-ho, visited Samsung Electronics Pyeongtaek campus on the 7th and said this year's tax revenue is likely to be insufficient than the original revenue budget. Uh, even if the same amount as last year is collected from March to the end of the year, there's a punk of more than 20 trillion won compared to this year's revenue budget. Moreover, this is less than the total tax revenue based on last year's gross revenue. At this rate, this year's tax revenue will record a year-on-year -year decline for the first time in four years since 2019. Also, is the government taking any extra measures in addition to the phase-out on the oil tax cuts? Well, in this situation, 
Commission is pointed out that in order to secure tax revenue stably, uh, the temporary tax supportive measures currently in effect should be normalized. So the government must first decide whether to extend the oil tax cut, which is set to end at the end of this month. The oil tax cut has been in effect for three years this year, and the reduction in taxes due to the oil tax cut like traffic, energy, and environmental taxes amounted to 5.5 trillion won last year alone. The government is reportedly considering gradually normalizing the oil tax cut. Aside from the oil tax cut, the special exercise tax on passenger cars, which has been cut for a long time, is also mentioned as a target for normalization. So during the first half of the year, it is necessary to decide again whether to stop lowering the special exercise tax. The government plans to revise the relevant enforcement decree within the first half of the year in consideration of this situation. All right, guys, a whole lot of news today. Thank you, as always, for your report. Stay safe, and we'll see you guys again. Thank, Thank you. you. You can listen to Korea Now with me, SJ Lee, by downloading the Arirang Radio application or tune in online by visiting www.arirangradio.com. So make sure you tune in Mondays through Fridays, 6 p.m. to 8 p.m. Korea time.